This is Dylan FM, the podcast that goes deep into the work and world of Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place with your host, Craig Danuloff. When we last spoke to Michael Gray, we talked about street legal from his work in the first chapter of Song and Dance Man, Volume 2, where he makes the compelling argument that the signs of Bob Dylan heading towards Christianity are laced throughout street legal. Today, we talk about that arrival, which, as we all know, formally took place with the 1979 release of Slow Train Coming and continued most directly through 1980's Saved and 1981's Shot of Love. Gray covers Bob's born-again period in Song and Dance Man not with a detailed tour of the three albums that are generally considered to represent it, but with deep looks at several songs from that period. Today, we'll discuss two of them with Michael, an outtake called Yonder Come Sin and the widely loved Every Grain of Sand. Throughout our discussions on the chapters from Song and Dance Man Volume 1, Michael showed us how Dylan's lyrics referenced or were influenced by his deep knowledge of folk, rock, literature, and then the blues. In song after song, we learned how lines and images that seemed like just interesting things Dylan had written were in fact part of something larger, connected to things that came before and things that made them potentially mean something beyond or different than what we may have known or thought. The Bible was not left out of those discussions. But in this period, it is the Bible that is most directly fueling Dylan's songwriting, and for many of us, those references are even less familiar. Which makes the tour Michael Gray takes us on in these chapters even more valuable. For however much Bible you thought was in these songs, there is more. Way more. The discussions you're about to hear about Yonder Comes Sin and Every Grain of Sand are perhaps my favorite so far, because of how much these chapters reveal about these songs. The nature of Michael's work and writing is such that, if time permitted, I would discuss nearly every paragraph. It's very tough to choose the quotes we use in these episodes and narrow down the discussion. So for this episode more than most, I want to explicitly say how highly I recommend that you get the book and read the full chapters. You're really only getting a sliver of it in this podcast, and what we can't cover is just great. There are Amazon links in the show notes. You're hearing the public version of this episode, and in it, we don't get that far into our discussion of every grain of sand. Please consider becoming an FM Plus subscriber so you can hear the extended and full edition. Or an FM Premium subscriber, which gets you all of our podcasts, plus the video versions of interviews like this. There are details in the show notes. We have a very special reader for this episode, and that is Michael Gray himself. You'll hear music interludes before and after the readings, as they're not always introduced in the commentary. Now here's my discussion with Michael Gray. Hi, Michael. Welcome back. Hi. We are um, in book two. We're going to look at chapter two to begin. And last time we talked about street legal which, as you showed us all, was full of signs of where Dylan was about to head. And, uh, and, and now we arrive squarely in the gospel years. Yeah. You've chosen, uh, however, to not take an album approach 
to these uh, these couple of albums, but you picked a few songs and really look at them and give us still a very good sense of what Dylan was doing and, and why. For the first, you again made the bold choice you did in one of the in one of the book one examples of picking an unreleased song, which, as I was thinking about over the last few days, must have been extremely frustrating for people when these things were really hard to find. <laughs> uh, so the song is "Yonder Comes In," which, with thankfully now most people are familiar with because it's uh it's it's like on the bootleg series and it's it's broadly available i'm sure on youtube and we can put some links in yeah but of all the material put out in the you know shot of love save period and we're going to get to some more in a minute why did this song why was it so representative that you thought it it could kind of hold the space of gospel uh, in your discussions of of what dylan did well, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, you you referred to the unreleased song that I mentioned in that I picked out in volume one, and that was "Lay Down Your Weary Tune." I could just say, it's a very long time ago when I chose these things, and so you know, why should I remember why I why I honed in on these things decades ago? But um, I would say this that uh, in each case the song seemed so striking and so unlike anything else he was recording at the time that it, it compelled attention, from me at least. In the case of Yonder Comes Sin, uh, there was such a bluesy, funky recording and, you know, and it snatched away from us towards the end in the version that we, that we ever heard first before it was officially bootlegged. And in that sense, that was tantalizing in itself. And it was a reminder of one of the great outtakes from Blonde on Blonde, She's Your Lover Now, which uh, collapses towards the end, just after he's sung, my voice is really warm, but it's just that it ain't got no form. It's just like a dead man's last pistol shot, baby. And there's something of the same strut about Yonder Comes Sid, you know, and um, I mean, uh, as I say in the chapter, it uh, it reverberates off a kind of early 60s Elvis Presley single, You're the Devil in Disguise, as an example of Dylan just beginning to pull away from the certainty of there's only one authority, that's the authority on high. It seemed to me that it was tantalizing. He he has one eye on the secular world and its appeals here. Yeah. As we know, uh, you know, you talk about the time of this recording appeared at a, a sound check. So he's already on tour. It was a tour that saw the reemergence of the secular uh, material. So that yeah. aligns. And, um, you know, as you say, Dylan starts challenging his own view and position which brings to mind words that apply to dylan of nuance and complexity and contradiction there's a paragraph very very early in this chapter where you you capture this and share what you see as one of the core things that makes the song interesting and important so let's uh let's listen to that and then we'll talk about it this is especially interesting period 
it finds Dylan moving beyond insistence on the tenets of faith toward the pain of recognizing that faith gets tested, that, quote, sometimes there's someone there, other times it's only me, unquote, and that it's altogether a more complex business than is suggested by you either got faith or you got unbelief. This shift is first signaled in concert on that November-December 1980 tour on which the current, quote, religious, unquote, songs are for the first time entwined with songs by others, with the traditional ballad Mary from the Wild Moor, and with some of Dylan's own earlier work. On record, the same shift away from evangelism is signalled by the LP recorded in the spring of 1981, Shot of Love, and by the additional material recorded for that album, but unreleased until later. Earliest of all these signals of change was Yonder Comes Sin, a song that sounds at first thumpingly evangelical, but isn't. So this is fascinating, of course, because a year earlier, and we've talked a lot in these talks about how quickly time moves for Dylan. Yes. Right? So a year earlier, he's a Bible-thumping fundamentalist, uh, you know, no room for the concept of questioning or, yeah. or doubt. Absolutely. He's, he's not with me. He's against me. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and which was right for all of us, you know, a black, a Bob Dylan who's thinks things in black and white is not the Bob Dylan we, we expect, but, Indeed, but the one we had. See, he wasn't the, the Bob Dylan we signed up for really. <laughs> he, he, he was a Bob Dylan who, you know, shocked us before we, before we could start appreciating the virtues of the music and so on. You know, I just remembered an interesting thing I saw yesterday that that ties into this because in in the street legal chapter you had shown us the signs that maybe the the religious period was coming and um I resaw a video of the Dylan parts of the Jimmy Carter movie. Oh yes. And I saw and, that recently. Right. So it what's interesting to me is that in in 76, 2 years even before street legal uh, Jimmy Carter says that Dylan took him in his courtyard and asked yeah. him only about his faith. Yes. Yeah. So, but that struck me too. Um, I mean, I really liked that program, that whole documentary about the Carter White House. I mean, my God, what a difference in in the America of then and now, you know. Uh, I mean, it was so open. It was so generous and warm and relaxed. You know, it wasn't just Dylan; it was all those people. But, uh, but yes, in the when when they walk in the garden, Dylan asks Carter about his Christian faith, um, and that's what that's what he's interested in. Then, yeah, seventy six. It all it all makes sense, obviously, in the real world that Dylan works on things and has learned how to keep them behind and let us know later. But uh... and uh, the other thing, of course, in that documentary, it seemed to me was, you know, the way Carter says. Uh, Dylan says that uh, when he first met Carter, Carter started quoting his songs to him. And I, it struck me that, you know, most of us, if we meet Bob Dylan and start quoting his songs, what could be more of a pain in the ass, you know? But somehow there was something about the integrity with which Carter did that, the genuine interest 
in the material rather than in the charisma of Bob that really worked. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at the, you know, clarity, lucidity, whatever you want to call it, of, you know, 80-year-old Dylan sitting there reflecting on this thing 30 years ago, remembering that and calling it up. Yes. It, it's it's as staggering as anything else he does. It's a, you might say, a, a disappointingly brief interview clip. I wonder how long he actually put up with being asked to speak about him. You know, there's a lot of those, you know, I mean, some clearly came from, you know, the Jeff Rosen interviews, uh, yeah. but some, I think, I think, you know, I was, I saw one of the Baez documentaries where he talked about her separately from the other times. Oh yeah. You know, there's a number, there's a number of these and, and yeah, you do wonder if they had sort of final cut. And so they taped yeah. 20 minutes and Bob said, no, this is the only 30 seconds that does it. Or it's kind of like the, the way he works with the, uh, the cameraman in the 2000s when he's on TV all the time and he makes these yeah. rules, you know, no yeah. cuts and it's brilliant and, um, you know, extremely disciplined. Yeah. I imagine that uh, Ray, Ray Padgett will, uh, will soon interview the, uh, the cameraman from that session and get the full story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Let's listen to one more reading where you hone in on this idea of Dylan shifting from black and white to, to shades of gray. In Trouble in Mind, the subtext of the song is, God and me, we're okay. In Yonder Comes Sin, the subtext is that evangelizing is all well and good, but that ordinary human life, enjoying old blues songs, flirtation, Recollecting pre-conversion good times, present intimacy, that's a valid arena too. So one of the things that makes, I think, this song great, and I was lucky enough to have it for years and years before it was released and always loved it. And I think you captured in the beginning the idea that it's it's this fervent, boisterous delivery which is also impressive to think of at soundcheck, you know, mustering that um, energy. Yes. But like those other songs, and you mentioned them in this chapter, Ain't Gonna Go to Hell for Anyone, there's this preacher-like Dylan, you know, yet there's yet there's still Dylan humor in it. You know, you, yeah. you can take it on the chin, honey, I gotta run. Yeah, all those things. And uh, the way that uh, the way that he keeps mentioning Errol Flynn in, in, in these religious songs. It's part of his irrepressible buoyancy, I think, his, his quick mind, that he's not too solemn about it uh, once he snaps out of the, of the, cre of the preaching. Uh, and really, that fervent evangelizing with no sense of humor is a very brief period, we're pleased to see. Yeah. Dylan reaches his final chorus and the end of a song that has proved alive and tough, witty and resourceful, and full of reverberating awareness of life's conflicting positions. I don't want to go too much further on this song because we're going to get to Every Grain of Sand, which I think is worth the time, but... Um... This is a chapter I think people will really enjoy because it 
it takes apart, so to speak, this song in a way that, especially as an outtake, which I don't think most people don't hear as frequently and doesn't get as much attention, I, I think people really enjoy. And it's a song with a lot of verses and it it covers a lot of ground quickly and, and you make a lot of sense of it. And um, people should go grab this chapter and, and read it. Good. Thank you. Chapter three, we, we turn to another song, Every Grain of Sand, perhaps the most celebrated over the fullness of time song from, from the gospel years. I think, you know, everyone loves it. It's just so intrinsically appealing, just the melody and the presentation. And, you know, I admit I was in the camp of, I would have certainly always said I love the song. I was glad when it came on or when he pulled it out in concert. But I realized having gone through your, your close reading and explanations, you know, with my own, that it was one of these things where I probably would have had to, you know, hum a few words and then I could call out a few that I knew. Uh, the, the intricacies are what's there. You know, I really didn't catch. And this exploration of it and explanation of it and uh, contextualizing is is really just remarkable. Thank you. One of the thing, one of the things that made me think about is Larry Starr was on the podcast in season one he wrote a book called listening to bob dylan and one of the things he does and he's a i'm going to forget now the kind of music professor he is but he's a you know musicologist at the university of washington uh-huh. but he he lists in the course of the book he lists 20 or 30 attributes of dylan that are at play meaning the song the tempo the music the you know, there's this huge list. And it was sort of really interesting, again, to you know, everyone thinks of all these things, but would have never said, oh, there's all of these. Um, yeah. Anyway, it just felt to me like the tone, the voice, that expressiveness in his voice, even if you don't know what he's saying, the the harp playing, everything about this song is entirely appealing before you get to what's in it, which is for me at least interesting to to notice yes i think i think it is i don't mean to sound disparaging in saying that there's a great deal of it that's just on the surface but you know in a way there is uh, all these things you described and it's it's a beautifully constructed song it's very regular there are no half rhymes it, it has a great deal of discipline in the writing i mean bob says somewhere that he doesn't know where it came from he just more or less just wrote it down and uh, and so on well you know bob says a lot of things and even contrasting that claim with the discipline that the that the outer layer of the song if you like makes clear it, it is quite surprising but then, yes, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. And as a melody, as a voice, as a, as a piece of timing, all that works just extraordinarily well, you know. And no, no one else, for example, could ever deal with something like, um, like Cain, I now behold this chain of events that I must break, you know. And, and he does break on break, but he also pauses enough for anyone to register that chain rhymes with cane in, in that thing. I mean, there's just loads of little things that that you catch and you pick up on as you flow as it flows through when you listen to it. And yeah, you know, you could listen to it a couple of times and just think, well, this is a really nice 
religious or, or partially religious song. But maybe, maybe you know, it, it doesn't necessarily call to most of us to notice how much biblical allusion there is in it. If, if he had written it in the 19th century, everyone would have picked up on that stuff, anyone literate, because everybody knew their Bible far, far better than we do now. But Bob Dylan, yeah, his use of biblical text has never been better demonstrated than in this song, you know. All this material about the pool of tears and, you know, Daniel's confession, all these things. The biblical reading that he has done underneath this song is just phenomenal. I mean, I, I know this because in order to cope with Dylan's born-again years, I had to, you know, make myself read the King James Bible from start to finish. Um, I mean, that was part of the work I did, you know, and um, and I can't say it was always enjoyable. Uh, it certainly wasn't fun, but there's a lot of beautiful English writing in it and the English language version. But what became so clear was just how much of this stuff Bob Dylan had studied, you know, and how, how lightly he could bring it in. There's none of the tub-thumping here. This is really beautifully crafted biblical illusion. To hear the rest of our discussion, please become an FM Plus subscriber. You can sign up in Apple Podcasts or at fmpods.com. Members get over 50 full and bonus episodes from this show and hundreds more from Pod Dylan, Watching the Covers Flow, The Dylan Taunts, Gaucho Amigos, and every show on the FM Podcast Network. It's just $5 a month, and it keeps these shows coming. See the show notes for links and details. Did you enjoy this show? Then please rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps. And take a moment to follow this podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>